uh, intellectual properties. That's why it needs to listen to the United States. Mm. So this is about manufacturing. It's manufacturing is about uh, being able to do something really, really well mm. uh, for over many, many years. I think that, uh, if you throw money at it, 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 it doesn't get a result. It's mm. really about a focus about the people. And what about home prices? Premier Lee mentioned uh, runaway prices as one of the difficulties, as he describes it, in his work report. I mean, he said homes have become now so expensive that the Chinese couples are putting off having a second baby. So how important is reigning in home prices going to be in the next five-year plan? Well, it, it, it came about because of the government uh, credit policy. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, social financing increased by 90 trillion over two years versus GDP increase of 9 trillion. So mm -hmm. where all did that money go? It went into the property speculation. Mm -hmm. So the, this is a, really a government's policy issue and, uh, and it don't look for uh, cause or solution elsewhere. It's within the government. Andy, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining me this morning. That's Shanghai-based independence economist Andy Shi. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian markets surging ahead this morning following the sharp jump on Wall Street over, uh, on Friday night in Australia, the SX200, up almost 2% now. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan uh, up about 0.8%. Uh, futures markets indicating that Hang Seng is going to add about 200 points or so at uh, the open later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do join, join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Back check coming up next with Hugh Chiverton and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast, mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches at first. Maximum temperature about 22 degrees. Then sunny intervals tomorrow, windier midweek this week. Warm during the day towards the weekend. 19 degrees right now, 86% relative humidity. It's 8.32. Here's Ben Che with the half-hour news. The chairman of the Democratic Party, Lo Kin Hei, says the political vetting that Beijing proposes under a sweeping overhaul of the SAR's electoral system will deter him from joining future elections. Beijing plans sweeping changes to ensure only patriots rule Hong Kong and subversion is stamped out. Mr. Lo said every new measure proposed by Beijing made him less and less interested in campaigning in future polls and the scope for pro-democracy candidates is becoming much smaller. I believe that the, the room for us to participate is much uh, smaller and uh, the way they try to uh, stop us from running is, is really clear. There are a lot of different uh, uh, different stages, different mechanisms to bar anybody from, from running, uh, from disqualifying, from vetting, from uh, getting the uh, uh, nominations and 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 actually the total number the to the proportion of uh, the directly elected uh, legislative councillor will be uh, reduced at least from half to one third. Officials in Equatorial Guinea have appealed for international help following a series of explosions that the country's president said left 15 people dead and 500 injured. The cause of the blast has, put, has been put down to an accident at a military base. The BBC's Will Ross reports. In a statement read out on national television, the president of Equatorial Guinea, Teodoro Obiangangema, said the explosions had been caused by the negligence of the team in charge of storing dynamite inside the military base. That put an end to hours of speculation over what exactly had happened. 
It's not surprising that the health services were quickly overwhelmed. These were extremely powerful explosions that flattened homes and tore the roofs off buildings. Videos from the scene showed injured people staggering through clouds of smoke to reach safety. What's not yet clear is how many people were trapped under the rubble. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today is Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. We're talking today about electoral changes. Vice Premier Han Zhang has been quoted as saying that Beijing's electoral reforms for Hong Kong are no longer about whether the SAR systems are democratic or not, but about preventing subversion. He was quoted as saying that the public order situation had continuously deteriorated over the past two decades, from the 2003 protests against Article 23 to the 2014 Occupy movement and the anti-government protests two years ago. Well, the proposed changes include reportedly allowing the election committee that chooses Hong Kong's chief executive to elect perhaps 30 or 40 members of LegCo. According to Aussie Lung, a new vetting committee would monitor candidates throughout their tenure in public life to ensure they're sufficiently patriotic. Other reports say the number of LegCo seats would increase from 70 to 90 and the number of election committee members will be raised from 1,200 to 1,500. What do you think of the changes? What effect will they have? Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, backchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us. The number is 233 uh, We're going to be joined by uh, different people today for the first part of the uh, programme, between now and 9 o'clock. We have with us now Holok Sang, Senior Research Fellow at the Pan Tong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research Institute at Lingnan University, and John Burns, Emeritus Professor and Honorary Professor in the Department of Politics and Public Administration at the University of uh, Hong Kong. We've got a few uh, emails on, on various subjects. COVID will knock back until uh, tomorrow, till our discussion tomorrow. We have some uh, e- emails on, on politics, but let's get sort of straight into it now. Perhaps, uh, Professor Burns, good morning to you and thanks for, for, for joining us. Uh, good morning. Uh, uh, so very dramatic kind of uh, developments in the past three or four days. Uh, what do you make of them? Well, basically I've got two ideas. The first is this is a kind of decolonialization of our political institutions. Remember, we sailed through 1997 with all our colonial institutions intact. So here we have an attempt by the Communist Party to bring them a little bit more in line with the political institutions on the mainland, but only partially, I would say. I mean, I think the Communist Party, if you read through the documents, says that it does want to take into account the need to maintain continuity and stability of the system in Hong Kong. And what what is this? And it seems to me this is It wants to maintain business confidence in Hong Kong. It wants to avoid capital flight. And so this is a kind of constraint on the Communist Party's uh, action. But the second point, and probably for me this was the big takeaway, the, the, the focus of these reforms is mainly on our colonial LegCo. But let's remember that legislatures can perform many functions, useful functions, including they can represent the interests of the community. 
our let's go now overrepresents business interests and pro-establishment interests, I would say. And when the people in Hong Kong perceive that their interests aren't being taken care of, what do they do? They go to the streets, and we've seen this repeatedly. 2003, 2013, 2014, 15, 2019, 2020, and, you know, increasingly. So the question for the party is, do they want a kind of show legislature as they have on the mainland. I watched this morning as Qinghai delegates uh, uh, dressed in their costumes, uh, you know, told Xi Jinping about uh, how great it was that poverty had been reduced in Qinghai. Okay, well, that's very good. Or do we want a legislature that more authentically represents interests and it's not doing that now, um, and it will be, it, you know, it's not clear exactly um, how this is going to, to take place. We, I've, we've read that, you know, it will remove some of the power of our tycoons, which is a definitely a step in the right direction. Uh, and it's true, as the news report said just earlier that they do throw up some kind of formidable formidable barriers to uh, what's, uh, you know, to exercising representation, but they are still authentic in my view. John, good morning. Um, This, what's been known so far is, is number one, it seems to have cut Hong Kong completely out of the process. Uh, this is just being given down to us like like Moses on the Mount. Um, the other thing that, that hits me immediately is that it's going to be a hugely more important role for the NPC and the CPPCC. I hope I've got those in the right order. Um, this is going to raise questions about how many representatives have we got on each of those bodies and who chooses them and what are the procedures? I completely agree with you. So Hong Kong is cut out of the process. If we were Guangzhou or Shanghai or something like this, our mayor and our party secretary would be on the central committee, and they would have been there in 2019 when the party made this this, the decision about uh, more direct control. So, yes, Hong Kong is being cut out of the process. And I think... Um, it does raise questions about how our NPC and CPPCC delegates are chosen, who they are, why they're chosen. I mean, you know, some of the CPPCC delegates seem to be chosen simply for, um, you know, their own networking or because they're prominent people in Hong Kong or for this reason. And so now they're being given a much more important role and we will be paying attention to this. It's not a transparent process. In right. fact, it's managed by the party in Hong Kong, by the liaison office. I've tried to look into how they do this myself. And, you know... People, people are going an, to want to contact... If, if, who's my representative? Outsider, yeah. so, people are going to want to ask, who is my representative and how can I contact him? But that's the point. They... 
not representing you. They're representing the Communist Party. So, so they are not representing you. So they are representing, um, you know, they are representing the party's interests. And the party would say, well, this is all democratic because we're ruling you in, the inter- in your interest. And you just have to trust us. This is, this is top-down, isn't it? This is definitely top-down. But then, come on, look what happened here. All, all this kind of increasingly um, people going to the streets, and the reason for that is simply that our colonial LegCo is broken. And so here is and the first attempt at um, fixing it. So I think after this process, we will no longer be able to, as I've been doing, call Let's Go a colonial institution. It's a more, it's, you know, a party-created institution um, after in the next couple of years. But of course, we have to see what's coming down the pike. So, Holok Sang, good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. What are your thoughts on on what we've learnt about the the possible shape of the uh, of the uh, electoral system in future. Well, we have to see the behind it. And I think it is entirely motivated, you know, by what had happened uh, in the past few years. It's causing confusion and it's becoming intolerable, you know, because uh, from Beijing's point of view, uh, it's blatant subversion, subversive activities, you know, coming, coming out. And, and I think they cannot tolerate such things, you know. Um, it's not only a threat to the uh, Communist Party itself, but also uh, uh, damaging Hong Kong's business environment. So they had to do something. And what is it that had to be done? So they, they had been waiting and waiting, and there's no, apparently there's no, uh, no sign of abatement you know, for those activities. And I, you know, I've been monitoring the situation, and I saw these so-called uh, diary for Hong Kong people, you know, and it's uh, announcing what, what's going to happen next week, day by day, you see. So all those activities in different parts of, uh, of, of Hong Kong, uh, confusion and disruption to business. It seems... See, that's something that, that cannot be tolerated. So something mm-hmm. had to be done. And uh, I, I think we were testing Beijing's uh, patience, and I... Uh, I'm glad to see that finally uh, peace returns to Hong Kong. But uh, um, I, I do not agree that uh, Hong Kong people have been cut off uh, in the sense that uh, uh, Hong Kong's interests are very much reflected, you know, from all kinds of channels and people, people in, you know, uh, we, we do have rep- rep- uh, representatives on the uh, people, uh, National People's Congress, and in different provincial. Uh, do, uh, do you know how they're chosen, Professor Ho? Committees, yes. Do you know who they are and how they're chosen? Uh, yes, I agree that uh, it's not very transparent. Um, I know some of them, but I don't know too many of them. Yeah, but uh, but I would say that uh, they certainly have the interests of Hong Kong people at heart. I'm sure and, they do. Uh, there are all kinds of channels, you know, and Hong Kong still, have, still has a, 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 a free press uh, as long as it's not sub, uh, uh, subversion. Uh, different views uh, can, be, can be published in Hong Kong's newspapers, and uh, I know that Beijing has been watching what, what has been 
expressed in the public opinion still uh, very important to them. So, right. So they're monitoring the, the situation. This, but this seems to be a terrible indictment of the present administration that you've raised these points about concerns that Beijing had and felt that they weren't being addressed properly. Surely that, that's, the, that's the chief executive's job. Yeah, the chief executive, of course, has a lot of shortcomings. And uh, the way she handled this extradition bill is, uh, is a case in point. And there are uh, many other things, too. So, so she was not doing a good job. Uh, it's that, that, I think that's pretty clear. And uh, I, I know many people in the, uh, in the so-called pro-establishment camp, they are all also not happy with, with her performance. How will ordinary people make their views known in future about what their concerns are? Well, no problem. They, they can um, uh, uh, phone into RTHK. You know, they, yes. they have all kinds of channels to, to express the, 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 the views. Uh, I think um, Beijing is... What Beijing is trying to do is not to uh, uh, suppress... Uh, criticisms about policy as such, you know, but it is about uh, um, uh, uh, um, subversion. You know, they are really concerned about subversion. You know, in the and it's uh, um, uh, blatant or more um, covert forms. Uh, isn't the problem that? If people have had a degree of democracy and a direct ability to choose their representatives and you take that away, uh, that doesn't yeah, go down well. Yeah. You see, I myself have been advocating for a so-called low-threshold uh, race, you know, for the uh, chief executive and also for, the, for uh, greater representation, better representation in the electrical and so on. You know, uh, and uh, my... Proposal has been accepted by the international panel, you know, for the, uh, the, the Hong Kong U uh, exercise, you know, as one of the ten that are consistent with international standards. But mine was uh, was not considered at all. In the end, three uh, proposals were um, um, chosen for Hong Kong people to cast their their vote, you know, in the so-called referendum, and all those three. Uh, included so-called civil nomination, right. which is entirely uh, by, by um, uh, sidelining the um, requirements in the, in the basic law for the nominating committee. You see, that is not acceptable. And you see, I've been, I had advocated a um, uh, uh, action in order to uh, 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 allay Beijing's uh, worries, so that uh, there will be. So, so we can build mutual trust, and then we will have more and more democracy. But then, what we have been doing in the past uh, few years, we have been eroding Beijing's trust in Hong Kong. And that's what we, we are getting, you see. And I am not happy with these developments at all. You see, I had wished that there would be more and more um, uh, democracy, you know, in the sense of uh, open and fair elections and so on, you know, but if you are actually eroding Beijing's uh, trust in Hong Kong, Beijing has to do something. You see, we, we're actually inviting these things, these things that have been, that, that have happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, my question really is about, is about people in Hong Kong, people in Hong Kong who've got used to democracy, as I say, a certain degree of democracy. They are not used to democracy. 
know, in, in, in all the uh, British rule, there was no democracy whatsoever. So how can we say that we were oh, used to well, democracy? Okay, well, they're, they're used to having, uh, uh, you know, in LegCo, uh, having a choice of who stands in LegCo. And... Yeah, that was, only, that was only after, effectively after, after the handover. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was quite a long time ago now, you know. So, yes, uh, yeah, yes, I'm just saying yes, people have yes, had yes, but, uh, for 24 years they've been they've, they've been, been actually they've yeah. been actually progression to what to what lower and lower threshold and more and more representation. Okay. Sure. But then you know. But uh, you know, my my, my point is that my point is that the the, the uh, by design the legislative council is going to be less representative, less directly representative exactly, of, of exactly, the people of Hong Kong. Exactly. So, but, but, uh, so you know, you know that, how that will people feel reflecting the. Sure. So, how will people, yeah. Hong Kong people feel? How will they react to that? Yeah. Well, if you can uh, do something that can arrest uh, uh, Beijing's worries, uh, then things, things may, 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 may improve. Okay. They, they, they have. Um, it's very clear, you know, because uh, according to the Basic Law, uh, Article Forty Five, uh, the, uh, uh, the the progression towards greater representation of this uh, um, uh, nominating committee. Uh, uh, has to be based on developments in Hong Kong, and they would monitor the situation uh, carefully. All right, some uh, emails. Matthew says, most media and even the U.S. State Department are describing the CCP's unilateral changes to our electoral system as reform and an attack on Hong Kong's freedom and democracy. Wrong. It is, in fact, a final step in the obliteration of our freedom and democracy. The electoral system is gone and has been replaced by a mainland-style party-controlled selection system. Even the loyal Hong Kong patriots who lined up like lemmings over the weekend to justify and praise it were not consulted and will either be cut out very tightly controlled. One positive I see is there is no longer space for the CCP or their cheerleaders to pretend. Their true nature and intention towards Hong Kong and the world has become transparent to all. Yesterday, pro-Beijing lawmaker Martin Liao was quoted as saying China's proposal for Hong Kong's electoral forms could prevent a dictatorship of the majority. Finally, patriots are telling it like it is. Herman says, it's funny that the US chose to condemn the LegCo changes as drastically undermining Hong Kong democracy, when the most recent Freedom House report notes the very significant contribution the US has made to the ongoing decline of freedom worldwide. And this is without mentioning the loss of freedom due to mandated lockdowns or the attack of freedom on speech by the likes of Facebook, Google and Twitter, among others. As for the upcoming LegCo changes, perhaps the US and EU should consider that the pandemic's contributions with their automatic opposition to anything the government or China does, culminating in rabid religious zealotry in 2019, are largely to blame. Alan, in an email, says, Backchat, one country, two systems, is dead. Hong Kong people ruling Hong Kong with a high degree of autonomy is dead. Democracy is dead. Beijing is making Hong Kong to have the identical system as the PRC, with a veneer to make it seem like democracy on the surface. Beijing does not understand that the more unrepresented the legislature as the purge all opposition form every level, it makes protests the only way to make our voices heard. This is not subversion. Repressing protest will not create patriotism, as defined by Beijing, equals subservience to the CCP. It does the reverse. I am utterly depressed. I am unutterably depressed and hope that Hong Kong can survive until she or the CCP falls. But I and my family are gone. That is uh, from uh, Alan. John Burns, how will Hong Kong people feel about these changes? Um, you know, I think the first thing to remember is that 
as Professor Ho says, we haven't had democracy, but the legislature has overrepresented business, and so uh, I think you know we have to see how this works out in practice. The other thing to remember is we still have autonomous elections in Hong Kong, and by that I mean. People are, uh, you know, they vote by, by secret ballot. So far as I know, that's not going to change. And they're free to vote for whomever they wish. And so far as I know, that's not going to change. Well, Although, no, that, that will change because they, because they, uh, people won't be able to stand. So you won't be able to vote for no, whoever no, you wish. Course, because no, the, no, no, no. That's within the, you know, the, those uh, approved by the party. But so there are things that people can do, such as abstain to indicate protest. However, I suspect that mass organized abstention would be interpreted by the Communist Party as subversion, just as Professor Ho said. So uh, it's definitely narrowing the scope for what can be done in Lechko, and this is why um, I'm worried about it. John, John, this, <laughs> if you cut out the the sort of bottom up, which is seems to, to be the achievement of this, then you, re why couldn't this have been done by screening candidates? I, I can understand the concept of patriots running Hong Kong. That makes some kind of sense. We will, There used to be an oath of allegiance to, to the Queen at one point, uh, going far enough back. So, all right, Patrick's running Hong Kong is understandable. Why not do this at the candidate's, candidate stage? Okay, let's remember that that was the proposal in 2014, uh, which we rejected. As Professor Ho says, the Communist Party distrusts the people of Hong Kong and it dis distrusts the Hong Kong government, it distrusts the Hong Kong Civil Service. It cannot have these AOs, who the party has been attacking right, left, and center uh, the last few weeks, screening candidates. These are the ones that, because they're unreliable. All right. So, the, so I think this is, you know, screening candidates by itself is not sufficient. Where, where, who will be the new rulers of Hong Kong if it's not those old, uh, the old administration, as you say, there's a mistrust there. Uh, if they're shrinking the space for political parties, I mean, quite severely, if they're pointing, talking about 30 members or even 40 members of the future Legislative Council coming from the Election Committee uh, and so on, where are they going to find these new people and, and the extra 300 people in the Election Committee? I don't what? think that's the key, the key issue. The, the rulers of the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, remember, in 2020, uh, Carrie Lam ceded political leadership in Hong Kong to Lo Hui Ning. Not, for, not publicly, not formally, but in fact, that's what happened. So the party now directly uh, manages Hong Kong's affairs, the civil service, and the... Uh, people like her are simply administrators. And as she's, she was very candid about this, she said, you know, I don't know anything about politics. I'm basically an administrator. And as Professor Ho has pointed out, 
this is her problem. We have needed political leaders, and we have not had them. The party has chosen the people that we have, the four CEs, for precisely the reasons that they are not political leaders, in my view. And um, so not given us an opportunity to carry out reforms that would build trust with the Communist Party, which I agree is absolutely essential, allow them a role, a key role in this. I mean, if we had in 2014 or 2015, um, you know, universal suffrage for the CE, then, then things might have been different. However, if that, if that process had, had turned into the kind of thing that we have today, which the party perceives as jeopardizing its security, then I think we, they would be, you know, they would be reforming that kind of a system too. Okay. Well, uh, John Burns, uh, thanks very much indeed for uh, joining us. Uh, a quick comment from Andrew Kay, who says, uh, talking about uh, Lo Chin Hei, the leader of the Democratic Party, who was on Hong Kong today this morning, listening to this guy on your news programme, this guy is talking rubbish. The point is that he and his pro-democracy cadres have done nothing for Hong Kong, even when they had the chance. That's from Andrew Kay. Holok Sang, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us once again. Senior Research Fellow at the Pan Sutong Shanghai Hong Kong Economic Policy Research. Institute. We're going to be joined by uh, Emily Lau and Andrew Lung after the news at nine. We want to hear from you as well. Drop us a line, backchat at rthk.hk or pick up the phone. The weather now before the news at nine. It's going to be mainly cloudy, a couple of light rain patches around at first and temperatures up to 22 degrees today. Sunny intervals tomorrow and warm during the day towards the weekend. 19 degrees at the moment. Relative humidity is now at 84%. <laughs> You are listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning, first one of the week. We're talking about the uh, shape of Hong Kong's future uh, election system and uh, all those uh, comments, revelations over the weekend. We were talking to John Burns and Holok Sang in the first part of the programme. Uh, between now and 9.30, joining us we have uh, Andrew Lung, international and independent China strategist, former Director General of Social Welfare, and Emily Lau, a former uh, head of the Democratic Party. Our number is 233 We want to from you. You can email backchat at rthk.hk with your thoughts, your questions and your comments uh, or comment on our Facebook page. We'll get to Facebook maybe in a, in a little bit. Uh, but uh, first of all, uh, emails. Bowen says, in a recent uh, article titled What Could Cause a U.S.-China War, former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Affairs Joseph Nye referred no less than six times to the fear that a rising power could instill in the established hegemon as a key factor in pushing both towards the so-called called Thucydides' Trap. With respect, the ways in which various senior establishment politicians have highlighted their use of terms like universal suffrage, democracy, election and patriotism amid international controversy in the last few days over Hong Kong's electoral reforms feed this fear most unnecessarily. It's liable to be seen as deceitful, aggressive and sometimes usurpatory, as most of these terms came to prominence first in the West. It was sad to hear Mark O'Neill endorse in Hong Kong today the same erroneous use of universal suffrage over the 831 package, which experts like Larry Diamond and Lord Patton adamantly refused to recognise as democratic. Rightly or wrongly, there have already been
been accusations in the mainstream Western media of China's deceit in the COVID-19 saga. Hong Kong does not want to constantly supply Westerners with reasons or evidence which generate more mistrust, unless it wants to enhance the prospects of war, be it hot or cold. That is from Bowen. Uh, Hugh says in an email, we will welcome Beijing with open arms when they send Carrie and her entire cadre for severe re-education to some godforsaken location for decades. Uh, and uh, on Facebook, TC says, in an interview with mainland Chinese media, Margaret Chan stated her support in Patriots ruling Hong Kong, citing that in her years working international organisations, she hasn't seen a country that allows unpatriotic people to govern. This is worthy of some fact-checking. Canada, in which she's a citizen of, is a country whose parliament has members openly calling for the independence of Quebec. Other countries also have non-patriots in her words as in the political process as well, so that Scottish Nationalist Party. I think it's better that Margaret Chan stop using her international career as some form of street cred. credit. Her statement shows that her knowledge of the world is rather thin. And uh, Henry says, I welcome the changes. They ensure troublemakers will be barred from entering into such institutions. Governance will be better, faster processing of LegCo bills, no more riots or people set on fire or blocked from boarding MTR by rioters. Hong Kong would march faster. As US treat Hong Kong differently from the past and play Hong Kong card, removal of troublemakers would smooth integration with the mainland. If there were no unreasonable opposition or violence in almost every front from the pandems all these 23 years, Hong Kong could have been much better. Vice Premier Han Jiang said Hong Kong should concentrate on working on people's livelihood matters after election matters are settled. Contrast it with mainland cities. They concentrate on growth. Arrested Civic Party members like Alvin Young, Jeremy Tam sobbed and cried at the court. Their miserableness tell loud and clear their deep regret for the damage they wrecked on Hong Kong. I also wonder why don't other pandem camp people like Alan Lung, Emily Lau, Audrey Yu speak up? Where have their courage, bravery, sense of justice gone? People should wake up. That comes from uh, Henry Young. Uh, Emily Lau, good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Uh, anything you want to say to Henry? <laughs> I speak up all the time, so uh, I, guess I think Henry must have uh, missed your programme. And uh, about uh, 10 minutes ago, I was just speaking to your Chinese uh, channel, so I speak up. And tomorrow, you'll see me on Michael Chugani's uh, Straight Talk. So I speak up when, uh, when I get a chance. Uh, I'm not sure whether I'm bold or courageous or not, but I speak my mind. And, of course, I take the risk. Right. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Um, Ten years ago, I think 11 years ago now, the Democratic Party, where you were in a leadership position, struck a deal with the liaison office and we got this progress and the five super seats. That really seemed to me to be the last time when the pandems, or a, a part of the pandems, earned the trust of, of Beijing. Is that a fair description? Um, yes, I, I, your mic, huh? yeah. Yes, I think it's right. Actually, it was probably the first time and the last time. And the last time. And, but you were hammered by the other parties yeah, so in, in the Democratic a, movement. I think if you look at the opinion polls conducted after we review our package, yep. the majority supported it. Of course. So yes. if we have to turn the clock back, I would do it exactly the same again. Right. Except maybe with one amendment. 
maybe not having a meeting in the liaison office. I guess we underestimated the Hong Kong people's very strong and adverse sentiment right. against that symbolic structure. But uh, I'm, I mean, I am always in favor of dialogue, of right. engagement, and in, of compromise. In 2014. That package yep. was not Beijing's package. No. It was Wu Qiwai's proposal, which Beijing rejected, but then subsequently amended itself and mm. got Elsie Leung to come out and say, oh, the Democratic Party's package is not against the basic law. Right. I but that's history. Could we have done better in 2014? Have we had accepted pre-screening of three candidates and pushed for sort of progress in other areas like like scrapping uh, corporate voting something else I don't think that was on offer and I was talking to someone quite close to the uh, pro-Beijing camp recently and the person said wow gee if you had pocketed that that proposal right John Zhang would not have got in. He would never get 601 votes to be nominated. So, and of course, Judge Wu would never get 601 votes. So, in the end, you just get one candidate. Carrie Lam, universal suffrage. Take it or leave it. Mm. But of course, we left it. So you don't think there was scope for another compromise in 2014 to build on 2010? Yes, I think there's scope. And uh, I have said that I am not the one who insisted on just having civic nomination, although I've been nominated by my voters seven times. But even if you don't change the basic law, according to the basic law, there is this nominating committee uh, which is broadly representative, and they will nominate candidates for direct election. And if you just give them more, give people more uh, participation so they can choose the nominating committee and have a lower nominating threshold instead of 51%, then I think the outcome can fit the definition of universal suffrage, which is there is no... Uh, unreasonable restrictions, thereby giving the voters genuine choice. So that's what I have been saying. You know, I'm not saying, oh, amend the basic law and all that. No, even if you don't amend it, you can come up with a proposal that can fit that definition. But of course, it fell on deaf ears. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, let's, let's look at the, the future structure of uh, a, 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 the political scene in, in, in Hong Kong. Uh, if you have this expanded um, selection committee, and they will be, they will be, according to Elsie Leung, continuously vetting uh, all people in, in public office uh, and so on. Um, what will it be like, and, and what will Hong Kong people make of this? Do you think? Well, I think it is really absolutely terrible. And uh, as someone said to me yesterday, why bother? Just just appoint them. Because what Beijing wants is to have complete control. And they don't want what some academic in the mainland call the loyal trash or just rubber stamps. 
They want people that can deliver. So, just a point there. Forget about this. Because this, this uh, triple layers of vetting, first of all, you vet you as a candidate, and then when you, if you are have, uh, lucky enough to be elected, you will be subjected to continuous vetting by this new organization mm. that would be set up. And, and you may get a knock on the door at 4 a.m. to arrest you for because of things that you've done wrong. So, I mean, there's no dignity, no trust, no nothing. I don't know where the Hong Kong people will want to take part, will want to even cast a vote under such a system. But I want Beijing to understand, to trust Hong Kong people. Because I think we all love the country, we love Hong Kong. And for me and my party, we never supported violence. So trust the people, respect them, consult them. Over this package, right. Also the joining people us. have not been consulted. The also. pro-Beijing camps right. have not been consulted. That? And even the tycoons, <laughs> they are going to be kicked out of the election committee. Right. They are going to have a big, big surgery. Let's, let's give our other guest a chance here, Andrew Leung. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good Andrew, morning. why didn't we see this coming? Well, I think that uh, I agree that there is a, a total loss of trust. But um, this must be um, uh, put in the right context. I mean, let's look at the... Um, the beginning. I mean, um, Beijing was really uh, keep his hands off uh, from Hong Kong. But unfortunately, over the years, um, Beijing's red lines um, kept on being threatened. Um, for example, I mean, for, first of all, there is a position to enactment of Article 23, and then leading to a massive demonstration. Um, and then, um, secondly, um, Beijing's offer of one man, one vote within the limits of Hong Kong's constitution, which of course is pre-screening because of the lack of trust, uh, was rejected. Um, thirdly, um, then we have the, um, the Occupy movement, uh, and then um, the realization that Hong Kong has lost the whole generation of young people, um, their sense of nationhood. Um, and then uh, further on, uh, last year, the Hong Kong descended into anarchy. Uh, rightly or wrongly, um, for various reasons. Um, you mean 2019? And then, and then, and then um, including the emergence of calls for separatism or even independence and openly soliciting uh, foreign um, interference or intervention. And then, last but not least, of course, this is the so-called arm child or mutual destruction, subverting uh, Beijing's uh, red lines. Um, not to mention the complete paralysis of LegCo. So Beijing is now forced into a corner. And you know, Beijing has said um, um, uh, that as much. So I think that the whole thing has, been, has got to be put in the proper context. Having said that, though, I think that um, various sectors of the business community um, and, 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 and for myself, I can see that, well, this may, 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 may have to be, you know, they've gone through this, this, this hum because the reality is that there is so much division uh, in the society, so much um, a fear in Beijing um, that the various um, so-called um, pan-democrats or various activists, um, they are really um, trying to subvert Beijing's red line. So the whole thing is that um, translates into a complete 
surgery, um, which is painful, um, which is, um, uh, but in Beijing's eyes, is necessary. But having uh, make sure that uh, Beijing can um, can really weed out the potential uh, separatists or self-determinists, uh, I think that the the the, the role map for further liberalization or democratization is not yet closed. Um, on the other, for example, I mean, if, if, if things have gone back to the, on, on the proper course, um, I can see that um, the uh, reintroduction uh, of universal suffrage. But of course, that, that's got to be pre-screening. Um, of course, we want Beijing to trust us, but I think trust is mutual. Um, I think the, the, the process got to, got to, to uh, to be gone through to build up that trust, and in the process, um, I'm afraid that there would be various other kind of restrictions to make sure that this emergence of separatism or subversion um, simply this is not allowed to happen. Right. So do you think? Do you think people in Hong Kong will come to trust Beijing more because of these changes? Well, initially, um, I think there's going to be reaction. Um, and comfort, um, a kind of com- and comfortable feeling that various kinds of room for um, democratization is narrowed. Uh, but I think that with all these safeguards, uh, Beijing would be much more comfortable, you know, having gone through maybe one or two um, uh, terms of administration, um, would, be, would be perfectly happy to reintroduce uh, universal suffrage. Do you think and all these safeguards? And again, I stress this is within the limit of Hong Kong's constitution. The, the, the kind of universal suffrage in Hong Kong is very, very different from other um, uh, territories or countries. Right. Andrew, is this going to have an imp- this feeling of disappointment? Is it going to have an impact on emigration figures? Well, obviously. I mean, uh, as with the um, handover. Um, Okay, some uh, comment uh, from Matthew. 
who says, I totally agree with Bowen that it was shocking to hear Mark O'Neill on Hong Kong Today trotting out the party line that Hong Kong was mistaken to reject universal suffrage in 2014 because we didn't agree that being given three candidates handpicked by the CCP to choose between was actually universal suffrage. Professor Byrne said the reason people went to the streets in Hong Kong was because the colonial LegCo system is broken, implying that this is somehow a justification for the destruction of our freedom and democracy by the CCP. There is no way he cannot know that this is absolute BS. If there is no longer space for any genuine Democrat pro-democracy advocates on RTHK or Backchat, and all we are left is the stumbling regurgitation of the party line by peripheral characters like Andrew Lung, Holok Sang, and academics unwilling to speak directly, then I think it's time to continue with, uh, to continue whether this programme should continue. And if it stays like this, then at least change the name to No Backchat. That is uh, from Matthew. Uh, James says, uh, interested in Emily's comment on the following. It seems suddenly certain language, phrases and words are being parroted by the usual suspects. Uh, phrases like Hong Kong governed by patriots. Unless something has been lost in translation, I've never heard patriots mentioned so much as I have in the past month or so. Hong Kong is no longer a world city, but an international financial centre. From chaos to stability translates as from vibrant cosmopolitan international city to dull provincial city. It's heartbreaking, but then again, I'm a foreign puppet. That comes uh, from uh, James. Emily, Emily now, what, what about Hong Kong as, a, as an international city? Do you think that's something of the past? Um, that's what... Uh, that's from the era of Donald Jung, that uh, the world city is, um, will, is no more? That's what I fear. And, uh, and some, someone just told me recently that uh, Hong Kong is not Hong Kong. I said, what is it then? Oh, it's Southern Shenzhen. <laughs> <laughs> well, whether we are international or not, of course, depends on whether people from the international community would want to come and do business here, work here, live here, go to school here. And uh, so it's up to them. But uh, if they see there are so many fundamental changes to the Hong Kong as we know it, and especially we've never had democracy, uh, but the irony is uh, the level of freedom and personal safety and the rule of law, independence of the judiciary that we've enjoyed for decades is much higher than many places which have periodic elections. But now that is evaporating before our very eyes. So for companies who say, I don't care about anything, I just want to make money, well, maybe they will come. But for others, especially those with families, they may, think this, they may not think this is a safe place, a good place for them to bring up their children or to live in. So, so if more and more foreigners uh, go and will not come, then how can we be an international city? There's a difference in perspective, isn't there, between a corporate headquarters, and the individual executives who work for those companies? No, well, of course. But international, meaning you have these foreign companies, these experts living, working here. Right. And that's why if you go down to Central, to Wan Chai, to Jingzhou, you see a lot of them. But if they, many of them disappear... And you, see, you see a lot of them in Shanghai, too, on the Bund. Do you call Shanghai an international financial centre? It's definitely not an international financial It's an important financial centre. But it can't be international for various structural reasons, which I'd be happy to debate with you off-air. 
but I'm talking about the international flavour, whether expats are willing to stay there and live there and educate their children there. They are. Well, well the figures, are, you, you can see the figures. Many are leaving. I mean, leaving the schools, that's why the universities, uh, secondary school, primary school and kindergarten, they have many uh, vacancies because they're leaving. Some right. of them are expat parents, some are local parents. Many are leaving and more and more of these statistics will come out. And what you will see. Uh, Andrew Lung, will do you think do you expect Hong Kong to be a less international city, or do you think that will be unchanged? Well, um, as I said, some Hong Kong people may leave, and some uh, foreigners may leave. But I think there's a lot of uh, uh, foreign businesses uh, coming because um, uh, let's not forget that there's going to be uh, more um, capital uh, coming into the, um, the city. Uh, especially from the mainland, mm. uh, seeking listing. In uh, yeah, I mean, will this be more of a mainland city? Well, some of them are going to bring that um, families with them, but I think at least uh, the um, test of the pudding must be in the eating. Um, we're going through um, a, 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 a quite a turbulent period, um, and I think that with all the safeguards, uh, I, I, I maintain my point. Hong Kong will be re returning to a relative uh, period of stability. And with this uh, period of stability, there will be room for um, the government, um, th with the backing of Beijing, to address some of the deep-seated um, contradictions in Hong Kong. For example, uh, housing inequalities, uh, the kind of mon mon monopolistic behavior of big businesses, um, and, and Hong Kong's long-term competitiveness. Uh, and then with the, the let's go, returning to normalcy and a functioning let's go, a lot of the reforms could be implemented uh, relatively quickly. Um, so I think that um, um, the, the long-term long -term prospects of Hong Kong uh, re remains um, uh, quite positive, uh, but, especially but, uh, yeah. with the integration with the Greater Bay Area okay. and Hong but, Kong but arguably, is a, a greater economy in the world. Okay, but arguably um, you've got a whole generation of young people who will be disenfranchised. Uh, what are they going to do? Well, I, I, I don't think disenfranchised is the word. Um, they, might feel they, like they, they might feel like they're disenfranchised. Well, yeah, I mean, but this, this is the, the, the kind of reality. Hong Kong is not a country. Uh, and, of course, the, 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 the motherland, of course, is, is, is governed uh, by a different, um, uh, you know, sort of non- So, kind so of, they're uh, just going to... ideology. Uh, but this is the reality. You can't change it. Um, and then um, there ought to be safeguards to maintain, uh, to safeguard uh, Beijing's very red lines. And then with the political ecology retaining to, uh, returning to kind of normalcy or stability, there'll be room for all sorts of kind of reforms. And I think that a lot of young people will, will, uh, will, will be able to find opportunities in this regard. For those who, who definitely don't want to be associated with them, and naturally they, they, some of them may, may leave. And then, as I said, in, in the end, uh, quite a lot may, may, may choose to come back. Andrew, what does this, this sudden development, or relatively sudden development, say about Beijing's relationship with the DAB? They seem to be as left out as, far, as much as the rest of us. Yeah, right, because... Or um, even Regina Yip, I mean, all, all this... Many... As I said, with the, um, uh, with the political ecology in Hong Kong, uh, not just uh, targeting and the uh, pandemograms, uh, but with some of the people with the DAB, I mean, that, that feeding is that some of them are not 
um, uh, performing their 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 role uh, very well in safeguarding the stability of Hong Kong. They're certainly uh, patriots, though, aren't they? Hmm? They're certainly patriots. Well, I mean, there are patriots and patriots. I mean, um, there are, there are patriots who who are genuinely um, aligned with the Beijing, but there is the the, the the question of their ability um, to to maintain Hong Kong stability. And I'm not saying that. Um, that applies to all, all uh, members of the, the DAB, uh, but there could be some uh, certain individuals. Um, but I think that at the end of the day, um, you can see that all these uh, kind of safeguards, this kind of triple layer kind of protection is geared uh, to maintain the kind of stability in Hong Kong's political ecology. And without this stability, a lot of the deep-seated reforms cannot be carried out. Um, with let's go uh, continue with this um, paralysis, um, with with um, um, you know sort of a dog fight between the parties, and uh, with a society deeply divided, so Hong Kong cannot move on. Is so it, that, that's the reason for for, for Beijing. Is it stability, uh, or, or or is it just complete control, total control of every well, aspect? I don't think that Beijing wants to to control micromanage uh, Hong Kong, uh, because at the end of the day, whether. Hong Kong is, is a very, very small piece uh, in, in the total jigsaw. But on the other hand, even though it is relatively small, it has the potential uh, to threaten the stability uh, of the country, as you could see you know, from what happened last year uh, with the foreign intervention uh, and so on and so forth. So I think that this is uh, a, a painful exercise. It's a major surgery, but I think at the end of the day, Hong Kong could return to uh, a period uh, of relative stability which would permit long-term reforms and also the uh, eventual reintroduction of one man, one vote uh, under with all these safeguards. And I think Beijing would be happy uh, for that to happen because don't forget the one man, one vote wasn't in a joint declaration. It was inserted in a basic law, but with all these safeguards in the basic law. So um, one by one vote would always have to be within the limits of Hong Kong's constitution. But it's much, much better than what we are seeing now. All right. Well, Andrew Lan, thank you for, for joining us, International Independent China Strategist, former Director General of Social Welfare, and thanks to uh, Emily Lau, former leader of the Democratic Party. Uh, an email from RT who says, um, that woman you had on last week who was blaming only the CCP for anti-Asian attacks in Australia reminded me of the simplistic idiocy that I had to put up with when I grew up in Detroit and saw how people there attacked anyone who even looked Japanese simply because they were upset that they were losing jobs to Toyota, Honda and Nissan. A couple of white trash rednecks even killed a Chinese man, Vincent Chin, because they thought he was Japanese. The big three automakers and politicians blamed the Japanese, saying things like, our cars are superior quality because we use better steel, which anyone doing car repair work would know was complete nonsense. To cover up the fact that the Japanese were simply making better, more reliable cars, and Detroit's problems came from bad management and poorly designed, badly made and unsafe garbage, like the Chevrolet Vega and Ford Pinto. Had this woman even thought to ask if the unrest in Australia really be coming from... Uh, things Australia's government has done and not because the CCP is doing a better job of managing China. Over the past decades, Australia's economic base has narrowed, its manufacturing sector has shrunk, and thanks to lockdowns, 2020 was the worst calendar year for Australia's economy of the past 60 years. That's from uh, RT. Thanks for that, uh, Mike. Thank you very much indeed. We'll I, I'm left with more questions than answers, Hugh. 
Okay, all right. Well, uh, then keep listening to Back Chat. Uh, we will be turning to uh, COVID and uh, see if we can talk a little bit about the ESF as well. Uh, perhaps in the uh, programme tomorrow, leaving you now with the weather. Uh, many cloudy, a couple of light rain patches at first. Temperatures up to about 22 degrees. Windier in the middle of this week and then warm during the day towards the weekend. 19 degrees now. Relative humidity is at 83%. The Employees Retraining Board has newly launched the third phase of the Love Upgrading Special Scheme to help the unemployed or underemployed enhance their skills. There is no restriction on educational attainment. Up to 450 courses are offered free of charge with a special allowance at a monthly maximum of $5,800. Free enterprise-based training is provided. For details, please call 182-182 or visit erb.org. 933, the news now with Ben Che. The chairman of the Democratic Party, Lo Kin Hei, says the political vetting that Beijing proposes under a sweeping overhaul of the SCR's electoral system will deter him from joining future elections. Beijing plans sweeping changes to ensure only patriots rule Hong Kong and subversion is stamped out. Mr. Lo said the new measures made him less and less interested in campaigning in future polls, and the scope for pro-democracy candidates is becoming much smaller. Experts advising the government on vaccination safety will meet today after several people who had recently had COVID vaccines fell ill at the weekend. In the latest cases, one man is fighting for his life and a woman is in intensive care. And the first major television interview by the Duke and Duchess of Sussex since they quit their roles last year as working members of the British royal family is being screened in the U.S. Prince Harry and his wife Meghan recorded the interview with their friend Oprah Winfrey. I'll have more news at 10. Well, he talks to journals as the stories unfold. Shooby-dooby. Musos and actors. Good morning. No matter young or that old. There's tons of stuff going on. Moves them through the studio. Oh, yes, yes. Before their coffee gets cold. Don't be stupid. Drink it. Because Phil Whelan likes to chat. Imagine helping people with just downloading an app and clicking something. I don't think the Communist Party wanted to do this. We have a nightclub on the roof. What if our country is run a different way? We welcome you to the Morning Brew with a chef 